you haven't started the podcast yet, but we have something really exciting to say. A special announcement, my friends. <laughs> Go for it. Well, Chasing Turkeys, our first book, is finally out and launched. We told you about it. <laughs> in an earlier podcast episode, but now it is out and available. If you go to rewildyou.com slash bookstore, you can learn all about it. We would love to share the story with you. And reviews on Goodreads or Amazon are so valuable to us and will help us to make this author dream come true. So thank you for your help, for your love, and... It's time for the podcast. Okay, pretend like this didn't happen, except for go check out the book. <laughs> Hello, friends. I'm Rebecca. And I'm Kenton. This is Rewild University's Unleash Your Life podcast. love of my life. Hello, sweet love of my life. Oh, what is this? Isn't that cool? Yeah, I mean, what is it? That's my new tattoo. <laughs> what? Well, my first tattoo. I don't have one yet, but it's a um, forest monk tattoo. Don't you kind of recognize that symbol? Well, I think I've seen you carve that into a staff or something. Yeah, it's kind of upside down. Here, here you go. That, that, look at that. It's very pretty i don't know that i would want you to put it on your body kind of front and center on my chest no i, I don't think so i i just think no <laughs> no that's yeah. it i mean i know End it's story? your body but i have to look at it and i just don't think <laughs> that like it's a really great symbol why is this important anyway what's what what is this about today i'm feeling particularly well inspired i guess by all the forest monks. How long were we running that program? Oh my, I don't even that know. 12 years? Something like that. Yeah. In so. all its various different forms. Right, the metamorphosis program, first of all, which was the 11 month. And Can you believe forest... people actually lived for 11 months out in the wilderness? That's intense. Alone. Amazing. Well, they saw us. They saw us. And once in a while, we had you know, shorter term people come. Mm -hmm. We're but guest instructors. For the most part, it was 11 months of solitude. Boy, kind of shows up that alone show, doesn't it? Yeah, they don't really have anything on those forest monks. <laughs> so that's amazing to me. You're right. I'm feeling inspired too suddenly if I think about that. People made such huge changes. Even when we went to just our four month program, I so respect all those forest monks that have joined us. They're just amazing in what they've gone through. Yeah, I don't know. You know, we may run that program again at some point, but for the time being, it's just something that we're looking back on. And well, I was kind of thinking about all the lessons that I've learned from the forest monks, which is a lot. There are a lot. Maybe we should limit it. We should do one of those top 10 lessons I've learned from forest monks. Ooh, yeah. Then you can big, have the big flashy 10 up there. Somehow those numbers attract people. I don't know. Huh. Let's do it. I don't know it. either, but I was thinking because we could probably list 50 things, we should keep it. Top 10 lessons yeah. from the forest monks. Yeah. Okay. Let's do it. Okay. Well, what's one that comes to your mind? Well, I think probably the first and foremost one that comes to my mind is that discomfort is good. 
<laughs> Which kind of discomfort are you talking about? Are you talking about endless rain? Are you talking about incessant mosquitoes? Are you talking about cold? Are you talking about heat? Are you Mice talking to about... keep you up all night. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness, there are so many different things. Yeah, and when people came from our culture into the new culture, essentially, that they were going to experience as forest monks, they came from a culture that celebrates. No, I'm actually going to say worships, comforts. I was going to say venerates. Yeah, venerates. venerates. Ooh, that's a good word, too. Yes, we are sort of brainy here. <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> Discomfort is good. So that comfort is, boy, you look, you know, everything we, we buy, so many of our actions, you look at our homes, everything is designed to make us as comfortable as possible. And the message, I think the underlying message there is that comfort is really good. It may be the holy grail of life to be comfortable. I have to set a little aside in here, which is still related. And we're talking about physical comfort and discomfort here, but I also think our culture pushes mental comfort. Oh, yeah. Do not get into mentally uncomfortable places. So I think that that is completely along the same lines as the physical discomfort. And sometimes I think it's helpful to take things to an extreme and imagine that you wake up and you're just completely comfortable all the time. So you wake up from your super comfortable bed and you know where there's that movie? What was it? <laughs> Wally. Wally? I was yeah. just thinking about that where they're in their little floaty devices and then the food right. is just brought to them and they can just float around and they don't even have to walk. You don't have to do anything. And what happens to our bodies to our minds when we are that immersed in comfort you start to see that comfort is not maybe all that good for us and it might not even feel that good there's these moments when oh a forest monk would for instance take their first ice dip or step into the snow or get nettles on them for the first time <laughs> and sometimes people would if not during the experience afterwards, would start kind of spontaneously laughing <laughs> with how good it felt to have these vibrant experiences. It's almost as if comfort is a long, gray, dull blobbiness. And then discomfort is vibrant, colorful. An exclamation point. Right, alive, yeah. Wow. So how about something else? This is fun to talk about. It is, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, a little reminiscing. Well, something that happened pretty universally is that people would begin to miss their families. Definitely. Yeah. And this could be, you know, husband or wife. This could be a parents or grandparents. It was different for everybody who it was. But really missing that family and then starting to see deeper into the the whole dynamic of the family play, the family experience that they were living in. So I guess that's kind of a roundabout, overly wordy way to say they would see their family life with new eyes and often recognize that there was a lack of something really vital happening. And it's probably tied in with comfort. You know, we have a relationship with somebody and our desire to get comfortable with them means that often if there's something that's kind of uncomfortable, we both 
just tacitly slide it under the table and don't really talk about it or think about it. And then over time, our relationship seems really good on the outside, but it's lacking something important. I feel like people get into, at least this is what I've seen, routines. Even I do it. Mm. And that routine sometimes, you eventually you just blow over, breeze across anything too. So it's not even, oh, maybe I don't even want to talk about that. It's just go. Yeah. This is the path. This is what we do. Do not question it. Just keep going. And I think you're relating it to discomfort is really apt because I think when we step out and we stop we go, Hey mom, I just wanted to stop and tell you, you are amazing. And you have done such an um, incredible job of raising me. And can I just have tea with you sometime? Because you are one of the people that inspired me most in the world. If you just say that to your mom one morning while she's drinking her coffee, (laughs) that's an exclamation point. And it might actually be uncomfortable. Maybe you don't want to say that. Maybe you don't have that kind of relationship. Maybe she feels awkward and doesn't know what to say, but it can be a pivotal moment of going, aha, this is real life. You know, I look at our own relationship and I see that we've been together 30 years now, basically, mm-hmm. just coming up on 30 years, mm-hmm. 29 and a half or something. And when most relationships begin, they're pretty passionate. You know, we get together because we're crazy about each other. Oh, yeah. There's mutual excitement and just a desire to learn and grow. Right. And then things kind of get gray and dull over, you know, usually the first three, five, maybe seven years are pretty good because you've got the flow of that initial passion. But mm-hmm. after that, things can start to kind of just gray down. Well, get especially dusty. if you throw kids in the mix or something where yeah. then there's this distraction. Life just distracts us. And so I think it's created a concept in our world that that's just the way relationships are you don't stay you know super passionate about the person you're with yeah like relationships have a 15-year shelf life and then it's time to move on right right or they just mellow over time you know mm-hmm. after 20 years you're going to be together but you're going to be just mellowed out and into those ruts and i feel like in our own relationship we have found maybe a secret to being really passionate about each other. And there's times that we have fallen into those ruts. Mm -hmm. And so we know from firsthand experience that after 30 years, you can still be crazy (laughs) about the person you're with. And (laughs) only our girls know like how crazy I am about you, right? (laughs) But there's also that ease with which we can fall into that grayness, that just pattern. And I think what I learned from the forest monks is that it behooves probably all of us, even if we think our relationship is really pretty darn good, Mm. to stop and take a really good look at it. Because, again, pretty universally, those forest monks, when they did this, they would say, wow, yeah, I've got a good relationship with my mom, say, but it's really missing this aspect because I've always been afraid to ask her about this or... We just, you know, get into this rut or whatever Mm -hmm. it is that has become kind of a a routine. Yeah, a lot of wisdom in that and looking at your relationships and deciding to maybe go into places of discomfort in order to create more passion and connection. Yeah. 
One thing I've learned from forest monks pretty directly is that diet does make a difference. <laughs> what you eat? Oh my goodness. It would be tough for people when they first came because they'd go on, we kind of called it the monk diet, for usually two weeks. And it was a really stripped down, super healthy diet. And part of it was not having any extra sugars. Boy, was that tough for people. Yeah. And what they would say happened to their mind after those two weeks. Feeling really clear. It is so interesting because so many of our forest monks had a repeated experience of feeling the food that they ate going into their body and giving them whether it was negative food, we would, we've would we talked about this before, we would take them to a fast food restaurant towards the end of their stay so they could sort of see what does modern convenience food do, whether it was that or it was something good. And then they would often say, you know, fairly soon after, oh, I can feel this. Whether it's, oh, I feel that flooding into me and all those wild foods just giving me energy or, oh man, I had that hamburger and oh my gosh, I feel like sludge now. <laughs> sludge that's it <laughs> but it was just so repeated for so many forest monks that i thought this really is true what we put into our bodies really does make a difference i think that fast food experience for the forest monks that got to do it is really powerful and important because you get this direct experience of almost how our food that we've created if you think of fast food equates with our culture you eat the fast food and it brings no satisfaction. You just want more of it mm -hmm. and tend to grossly overeat. Well, your body's searching for those nutrients. Yeah. And it's not getting it. And so it's just getting like, oh, give me more, give me more. And then afterwards, usually having been months on a really clean diet, feeling super good, the crash, the mental and physical toll <laughs> that that fast food hamburger shake you know fries whatever they chose yes. <laughs> takes on us but we don't know it in our regular lives no we don't get that contrast right yeah and repeatedly how many of them said oh my gosh i can't believe i used to do this on a regular basis i never want to do this again so that's just one thing i learned and i like to try to remember that it's like okay i want to fill myself with good food and especially as spring comes i want to get out and forage Oh, can't wait for that foraging. The wild up. food. You know, yeah. tangentially related, Simon, one of our forest monks, just left a comment today. Hi, Simon. Oh, we love we you. We miss you. <laughs> and was talking about mindset. And again, how much the mindset in the wild felt so much healthier than the mindset when he's not immersed in nature. And so that's... a Again, something we just don't get in our world. So few of us get quality nature time to really experience that contrast. What is it like to feel normal? And I mean normal like natural oh. with good food, with lots of nature space. Plenty of sleep and time for thinking through your thoughts and just being and not doing. Wow, yeah, it's almost like diet makes a difference and it's not just the food you put in you. Again, it doesn't just mean our bodies, it also means what is the diet we give our minds. Yes. And that it could be a whole podcast episode all on its own. <laughs> we should do we should do some more. Okay. I think that people found that the things that would really change their lives the most are often the things that they're most resistant to. Mm -hmm. 
So funny how nature holds up a big mirror for you. Oh my gosh. Or pokes you in the places that you're most tender. Like <laughs> this is something you need to look at. Really does. And this would come, you know, also in sometimes lengthy conversations that I'd have alone with different forest monks where there's places in our life that we kind of know that a change would be really, really good for us. Mm. But we're so resistant to that that we often don't even want to look at it. We'd have nature there kind of poking people and then we'd have me there urging people to look at something that was uncomfortable for them. But when people do, and nature often slowly forces it over time, <laughs> take a look at those things. Well, when that resistance can break down, there's big things waiting on the other side. It was magical to watch so many of our forest monks have these massive transformations and just see the joy and, and almost a weight just break and fall away off of them and their lightness of being come out even more. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, one thing I'm thinking of is that I really saw in them that you can do more than you think you can do especially if you think you can do it. <laughs> and I feel like the message from our standard American culture is that we're really pretty incapable. And you think about it, we have to be shown that we're incapable so we can be sold products that will make us more beautiful, more capable, more, more, more. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, we live in this world where you, know, you need a, a car to get you somewhere. Your feet or your legs can't do it. We live in a culture where you have a microwave and prepackaged food because you're kind of too incapable to cook. These messages sort of built into all these products of comfort <laughs> and convenience that are saying, yeah, but you could just sit on the couch and allow this to be done for you. And when I show you my advertisement, you know, my packaged meals probably be way better than anything you could come up with anyway. <laughs> well, and I feel like there's also a history of us being told that our ancestors were really kind of lame and frightened and just who knows how they managed to survive. And I think that's so not true. We are all, we all have a legacy behind us of people who survived and in way more difficult situations with far less available to us than we have now. So in a way, we have a legacy of strength. And if we believe we can do something, it's amazing to see people who do not let that mental attitude that our culture gives us keep them down. And I've seen that over and over again in the forest monks where Kenton would set a task in front of them. Okay, you're going to break through this ice, then you're going to go straight and start a fire, and you're going to do it blindfolded. <laughs> like, you know, how, how is that for, can I do that? And then them coming through it. And it's just amazing to see people go, Hey, I am super capable. Yeah. I've got this. I can do tough. When you take on one of those tasks and you accomplish it. Wow. You know, it even goes so deep into our culture that I think our basic, what I like to call the mechanolinear mindset this idea of the universe that we've been given over the last couple centuries is that you're just this tiny little speck of nothingness, pretty much of nothingness. Yeah. And that contributes to this whole idea that 
you're just sort of incapable and you're a wispy little thing that's here for a moment and then will be gone. And so different than that experience of taking on a great challenge and this visceral feeling that we get of, wow, I did something that I never imagined that I would have been capable of. Yeah. But because I believed in myself, I did it. I wish that we would be given the message that we're all an essential part of the universe and integral to its working, because I think that would change us from within. Yeah. You know, I think tied into that is another lesson that we saw very often, which is that when a forest monk could fail, but see that positively, then they would gain strength and wisdom and smarts from that experience. I'm laughing because I'm thinking of the one match kind of experiment oh, where yeah. you just give people one match and how often it'll be like, yes, I know how to light a match. <laughs> and then inevitably there would be a wind that would blow it out or the match would break and fly off. And then there would be, oh, okay, maybe I should see what I can learn here. And it's just, it's fun to encounter your own weaknesses with flexibility and vulnerability because yeah. then you really grow. <laughs> I remember the first time that happened, it was uh, Griffin. I hope you don't mind me pointing Griffin, out. Griffin, I love you. <laughs> and he immediately laughed at himself. And that is the ability that we mm. all need, that ability to laugh at ourselves, to say, ah, here's what my ego said. Here was the reality I experienced. And so that's a quote, failure from which we grow. When we attach our ego to accomplishment, then when we don't get it, we tend to crash. We're like, screw this, this is stupid. Yeah, we become brittle and in, unable to really change. Yeah. Yeah. So failure, ugh. and well, we know this from raising kids, it's really easy for kids to get into that culture of perfectionism. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Don't talk to me about perfectionism. It's terrible. <laughs> but it is really important. From failure, from mistakes, are the way that we learn. And so much of what we know in our human culture is based on people's mistakes. Yes. And so they're really essential. You know, all of this makes me think of something else that I've learned from the forest monks, which is that they spend a lot of time, almost all their time in nature. And nature really accepts everyone. Oh. Whether you're, quote, failing or you're, quote, succeeding, nature doesn't care. It's just there. You know, it feels like nature has this incredible way, and I guess we kind of mentioned this already, of bringing you maybe not what you want, but what you need. So a person can come out and have like a huge ego, and nature's still going to welcome them in, but they're going to have a different experience in nature than someone who comes out and is very, let's say, timid and mm. shy. They're gonna be welcomed in, but they're gonna have a different experience. And across the board, it was really neat to see people come who had been diagnosed with a mental illness, were battling addiction, felt like they were really wrestling with depression, felt like they were tech addicted, felt, oh, my life is pretty good, but I just am missing some my vitality, whatever it was that brought people out to rewild you, they were met by nature, who is so beautifully 
accepting. I have to tell a story that's just coming to mind. And this story involves Brett. Brett, we adore you. And he he was living in the teepee in a very particularly rainy time oh, of year. God, how did he do that? I don't know. And he constantly he rain. talks about talks about how he was just like he didn't want to go out and it was always raining and uh uh and then I were you the one that encountered him? He was like in his bathing suit and he had just decided I'm just gonna wear my swimming trunks because I'm gonna get wet anyway and he like fully embraced it and he was like it's raining who cares you're gonna get wet might as well wear your bathing suit head on out for a hike and it just was so inspiring I love that story. Oh my gosh yeah that that really impacted both of us when he did that and it, I have to say, when he first was going to come out, when he was considering the program, he asked what the weather was like, <laughs> and, you know, and I said, well, of course, Wisconsin's unpredictable, but in general, you know, it's going to rain once a week or something like that. And then he gets here and it <laughs> rains for like three months it straight. It was awful. And in a teepee, teepees are not meant for the rainy weather. Oh, in the woods. Oh. I am not sure how he managed to just remain so peaceful and calm, but... Talk about resilience. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh, wow. Well, maybe we should talk about a few more things. Yeah. Well, this is really fun. It is fun. <laughs> I'm so grateful to all of you forest monks out there. You have added so much to our lives. That's, I think, what I'm seeing here as we go through this, is that this wasn't really about us just giving something to mm, others. We got We so were getting much. these huge gifts because... The actions and the words and the experiences of the forest monks then impacted our lives in huge ways. Oh my goodness. Well, one of the things that I'm thinking about is the adventure-based attitude. I mean, so many of our forest monks, they would come and then as they were in the program, they would grow and blossom and they'd just become so alive and they would just be off oh okay I'm gonna go off today and I'm gonna hike to that secret lake and I'm gonna see if I can find it or I'm gonna go look for this special flower that I saw and they would just really grab life and and love it it was neat to watch the process of that happening because almost everybody when they initially come I mean you're psyched up this is oh, gonna be yeah. the adventure of a lifetime and then two weeks of the diet and boredom and missing home and everything. There was, was like a two-week wall that yes. people would hit. And if they could make it over that, man, what a change would happen. And then I think I see people wrestle between it would be easy to just kind of oh, hit a monotony, kind of stay in your shelter, whatever it was, whether it was a cabin or a teepee or something you had built, and not do much or to embrace that sense of adventure. And it's probably, I don't know if it's built into our culture, into our comfort-seeking mm. culture, to not embrace that sense of adventure. But when people did, then you would see exactly what you're talking about, this huge change in nature, you know, in general, well, I was going to say it kind of forces that adventure-based attitude, but not always, because there's all those discomforts. And if we keep resisting those discomforts, then we can just put up more and more shells around us. I think that's why it was useful sometimes to have either other forest monks around you or to have a guide there that could urge you out of yeah. the proverbial shelter into I, that sense of adventure. I think so. Well, and I think some of the things that I saw that helped with cultivating that sense of adventure were curiosity, curiosity about trying to find that thing or seeing yes. if you could do something or making setting up a quest for yourself. 
that really went a long way. And then gratitude. I, I feel like a lot of our forest monks who really embrace that adventure mindset, we're often grateful, especially just for the little things. Oh, a hummingbird flew right in front of my face when I was at my sit spot today. Yeah. And they would notice the beetle crawling across the moss and be engrossed by it. That's so powerful. You know, eventually we started to adopt a regular gratitude practice as I think you and I started to learn and recognize how powerful that gratitude was, how it soaks you into the moment. And then adventure doesn't have to be being charged by a bear, though that is <laughs> something that happened, but it can be just having that beetle crawl across your leg, you know, or that, boy, that hummingbird. Oh, unbelievable experience. Or befriending the mouse that's been previously annoying you. Yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, you know, one of my favorite things about the Forest Monk program, and I didn't get out nearly enough around the campfires, but was watching people around the campfires. And sometimes, secretly, as an orc, I would get to <laughs> spy a little bit in the moments before I would launch an orc attack around the campfire. But there is actually a pretty cool study that a researcher named Weissner uh, performed with the Ung in Botswana. Well, wait, what? In, what? What did you just say? The Ung Botswana Bushman. Wow. How do you even do that? Ung, Ung. Did you practice saying that? I practiced. For real? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's, wow. I tried to learn how to pronounce it, and I'm still, I'm sure, butchering it. A real Bushman would laugh at me. But, yeah, you do the click in the back of your throat rather than your tongue, and then... I, I feel like I'm... <laughs> okay, that's not going to work for me right now. It's spelled exclamation mark K-U-N-G. But these... These folks in Botswana are still living a hunter-gatherer lifestyle. Sweet. And she would note, after I'm sure learning, having to learn that incredible <laughs> she language. She probably speaks it quite well. Oh yeah, yeah, she's probably laughing at me too. And she would note what people spoke about around the campfire. Hmm. And she noted that during the day, the campfire talks were often very functional, but at night, the campfire talks were very social. They involved storytelling and sharing mm. feelings and things like that. And her whole concept with this study is kind of questioning the, well, language and fire and how those might be related in the evolution of the human mindset. We tend to think in our usual manner, which is very mechanolinear, right? Mm -hmm. That fire was developed for cooking and for utilitarian purposes. But she was noticing how much fire instigates certain mindsets of social sharing, especially at night, and started to wonder if maybe people kept fires going for other reasons than just utilitarian ones. I just, it makes me think about when you talk about survival, Okay, what's the most important thing? You know, is it shelter? Is it you know, food? Is it water? Blah, blah, blah. Um, sometimes, you know, people might say fire. And a lot of times, whoever was giving the, you know, course would say, well, no, that comes down the list. But over time, I think we've found that a fire 
does so much for your mental attitude <laughs> that perhaps it is fairly important because when you have a fire going, you feel safe, you're warm. There's something about it that boosts your mental, what's the word I'm looking for? Fortitude. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Fire is so powerful like that. The power of a campfire. Walls literally tumble down when people are around a campfire and they start sharing things. And so it became a very important part of the forest monk experience. And we, of course, used it as a, well, kind of a tool for people to have a lot of their challenges. You know, I'm thinking right now of Ben who came and we were walking out, a group of us. I don't know if I've ever seen so many mosquitoes since I was at the teaching drum. My arm was just dark with Ugh. mosquitoes on me. And mosquitoes had been really tough for Ben and we tasked him with starting the fire. Now trying to start a fire when you're covered with mosquitoes is an immense and they're Challenge. buzzing in your ears oh and gosh. your face and they're landing on your lips. <laughs> and he did it. Wow. It was amazing. And then the camaraderie around that fire, because it was taking the mosquitoes away and the connection was really powerful. That's something that we notice is basically completely missing in our modern culture. Oh yeah. How often do we sit around the campfire? Yeah. Now some of us do, and maybe yes. a lot of listeners here do, but we've learned from, well, a lot of our listeners over in European countries, that there's even a fair amount of countries where campfires are not allowed. Oof, yeah. And that robs us of something ancestral, something that happens when we sit around those flames and we start to share and become vulnerable and really open up. I don't know what it is yet, but I wish we could find something. I wonder if you could do the same thing with... Uh fireplace a fireplace i feel like fireplaces or a wood burning to... stove where you have the glass panel you can see the flames and you gather up with yeah. warm tea or something yeah. but, but the, that's not necessarily even that the is same. restricted to yeah only a few people that have those hmm, we'll have to give this some thought you have to ponder it yeah i know what the e-fire <laughs> what's the e-fire the e-fire it's a, we can market this back It's an app on your phone. No. It just plays flames and you set it down in the middle of some stones. No, and <laughs> no one would be fooled by Make that. crackling sounds every once in a while. No one would be fooled by that. No, okay. it's a little plastic thing that sits plastic, on your table. Really? And then it has fans inside with pieces of paper, orange paper. Oh, yeah. And it blows or, it up. Or ribbons. Yeah, just like at fire. Maybe your idea is better. <laughs> I, I think that we should just, you know, when we were talking about survival there for a second, this and maybe we, we could go on forever, so maybe we should make this our last. This would be number 10, actually. I've counted. Wait, we're on 10? Yeah. Oh, well, yeah. sweet. Okay. I was just kind of thinking, oh, we've done pretty good, but awesome. Yeah. Um, so we were talking about survival, and we were talking about what is the most important survival tool and if there is one thing i have learned it's from the, all of you beautiful forest monks out there it's the buckmaster four five thousand survival knife not quite yeah no no it's that oh um, the x5 mega knife it doesn't have to do with knives attached, honey it does not I love have to knives do with can't it be a knife <laughs> no it cannot be a knife that could be important survival tool number two or something <sighs> okay thank you it's your mental attitude ah yes 
You know, and that's a really good point because here our culture tells us constantly that you need this, you need to buy this, you need to buy this, you need to buy this. If all the gear in the world will not save your butt, if you are freaking out and you stick your head in a hole and you don't know what's going on when you come to a survival situation and also in real, quote, civilized life, your mental attitude is what's going to save you. It's what's going to allow you to survive, not just survive, but we've talked about this before, to thrive in your life, in your environment. Oh, so mental attitude. So true. So, okay, a forest monk experience. The deep cold, it's really easy to start to just fall into yourself and give up. So when any of our challenges would be in the deep cold, like you know, you'd have to strip down some of your clothes, a few layers, and then try to start a fire in this really cold area with no gloves, using flint and steel. Wow, this Ooh. is like more like torture. can't believe that people just willingly did this. Yeah, yeah. Some people even paid us. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, I think people got a lot out of it. It's pretty impressive to know what you're capable of. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, the deep cold. The deep cold. So it's so easy to give up. And you're right. You could have the most mega backpack there. But unless your attitude is there, you're not going to think of what pieces of gear to use. It's not that the gear can't be good, mm -hmm. right? You might have things in there that are going to warm you up or whatever. But if you don't have that attitude, that strength, that fortitude, then it's just I saw it over and over again, especially with people who felt like they were really strong, mm -hmm. oddly. Then often the, that would be the first person to give up. And sometimes it was oddly the people that were kind of more meek or gentle who would stop and they'd assess okay, their whole... Okay, okay. Yeah, go ahead. I'm not trying to say you're meek and gentle, Helen, but I'm trying to say you rock. Helen, you rock, and you come to mind because time and time again, you had the mental attitude oh, that yes. got you through, and you were patient, and maybe you didn't get everything done as fast as other people might, but other people were doing it, and then poof, epic fail, they're like, okay, I'm done. You were just slow, you were steady, you were calm, and you, you did it. She would take on so many challenges effectively that way, and... You know, you look at her, not a person that has a lot of ego. She's not, doesn't spend a lot of extra energy trying to show the people around her how awesome she is. And then she can take that energy and just apply it to the life tasks that she is aiming at. Yeah. And I think that's what made her so effective. There were so many forest monks who really, really inspired me with their mental attitude. Because I would look and think, oh gosh, I know how hard that is. Oh, man, and then they'd be like, yes, I'm going to do this. I did this. And just how they would meet their experience, whether it was a failure or it was a, quote, success, like what they got out of it. There were never, quote, any real failures. It was always a learning experience. Mm. That was just really beautiful. Nicolette comes to mind, too. Oh just gosh. really, really always finding the higher road and the deeper message in whatever happened. She was one of our first forest monks and I think kind of set the tone for the program going forward in that, not one of our first, but she was early on in the metamorphosis no metamorphosis program i can't remember which one it was at that point but she did 11 months and so often i think basically almost with every single forest monk that came after i would use stories from her 
time in the woods to inspire people to be more resilient, to look towards a love-based approach rather than fighting and trying to force things. To, ah. There are, we could go on and on for another two hours about all the different, there's so many forest monks that have had, I just can think of so many of you. All these stories coming to yeah, mind of people that have really touched us. And... So I know we mentioned some of you, but all of you are in our hearts and we think about you very often and you have influenced us so deeply and it's just been wonderful to share these insights. I'm so excited. Wow. Well, better hit it, baby. Okay. It, I, should I go? I'm going to go. I'm going to stand back here. Okay. Whoa. This is extreme. What are you yeah. doing here? It's time for you to unleash your life. Wow. That is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In the way we're going to do this. That's how I've always wanted to say it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you said it with gusto. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so what is her action? Point? What? what, are, what well, our doing? action point this well, time action one, is action a point. one special ten part action point of bliss. <laughs> wait. The X five thousand action point wait. of bliss. What, anyway, what is it? What we've got here is a little ten day training course live like a forest monk oh yeah if you're listening to this on some other platform besides right from our website then you're not going to see the little thingy down below but if you go to our website and to the podcast page on our website then you're going to find this little course that we've made up for you it's a 10-day forest monk challenge like what wait 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 is this like push-ups and then yep. go outside and sit in a sit spot yep. and, then... and just eat lentils and then I don't think you guys should do it don't do it <laughs> <That's not laughs> no fun. no no what we actually do is we go over all 10 of the points that we covered today the inspirations yep the inspirations and then we have a for each one a little daily give me challenge. an example well the first one was discomfort is good okay so Basically, you're going to choose something that is kind of uncomfortable in your life. So, well, maybe it's going to be that cold shower. Does and it have to be physical or can no, it be... No, it could be mental. Okay. It could be, yeah, calling up somebody that you know you really should talk to and, and go for it. Take on that discomforting thing and see what it feels like. And then question at the end of the day, is comfort all that awesome or is there something waiting for me in discomfort? And we go through all the 10 points and it's a fun little 10-day challenge. Oh my gosh, so tell us if you do it and what you learned from it, and tell us the things that have been inspiring you in your life, whether it's stories from nature or people that you know. This is so neat. Thanks for listening, friends. Oh, we love you so much, and you can do all this without a tattoo. See, you do the 10-day thing too. Uh, what about the tattoo though? Um, how about we just draw it on a shirt and you can wear it? Ah, you're smart. My forest monk shirt. Yeah. I love it. Just go in with my Jedi shirt. Hey, we can make those and sell them and people could wear forest monk shirts. <laughs> We've thought about it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway. I know. Yeah. Let's just go do the 10 day challenge. Okay. Okay. <laughs> we'll see you next time. Actually, we won't see you. We'll talk to you next time. Talk with you next time. With you. Yes. At you. No, just kidding. <laughs> All right. We better go.